appreciate it. I'm going to ask we stand together for the reading of the word, and then you can be seated. I want to read to you out of Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. And by the way, all right, we're good? Notice, um, didn't Brad Ball do a great job with this? Amen. And this is going to be uh, for auction, out there for auction as soon as the service is over. And I think it's beautiful. I tell you, that's suitable for framing and putting on a wall. And the first service was um, painting is already gone. Brad's a very talented guy. Where are you, Brad? You in here? Way back there at the back door. Give him a hand. Appreciation. That's good. All right, let's read out of Luke chapter 24. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. They weren't expecting that. These women who loved Jesus, had followed Jesus, were going to anoint him for burial. Nobody had caught, really understood what he was saying when he said, I'm going to rise again from the dead. So here they come and they find the stone, great big stone, heavy stone with a Roman seal around it, Caesar's seal, that to break it puts you in jeopardy of your life. But it, the seal was broken. The stone was rolled away. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. And the women were terrified because actually they were angel beings. With their faces to the ground, and the men asked them the great question, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? That's the great question. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father, I pray that you will make this Resurrection Sunday real to every one of us. Help us to understand what Jesus was really all about. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And let me deal with this and talk to you about the high price of empty. Now, you know the word empty is usually a very negative word. Let me give you some examples. How about an empty bank account? That's negative, right? Empty. That's negative. How about an empty gas tank? Anybody had one lately? As prices reach close to four a gallon? How about empty marriage? What a terrible thing to have, a marriage that is empty. What a predicament that is. How about an empty stomach? Millions of people tonight are going to go to bed with an empty stomach. No food at all. Or even worse of all, I guess, empty life. What about an empty life? You're alive. You're functioning. You're going through the motions, but your life seems empty. Lacking meaning, lacking substance, lacking purpose. Empty life. But you come to the tomb of Jesus, and empty becomes an incredible positive. Because empty tomb 
meant that Jesus was exactly who he had said he was. Now, you know, when I watch the news and I watch people get interviewed on television a lot about Christianity, somehow religion comes up, I never cease to be amazed at how often people misquote Jesus or really don't know what Jesus said at all. They sound off about him. They flap their jaws about him. But they clearly don't know what he said or what he was really about. And so I want you to know today that Jesus was either a truly psychotic man based on what he said, we would today commit him if what he said about himself was not true. If he did not rise from the dead, we would commit him as a schizophrenic, as a psychotic, as somebody highly delusional. The thing about Jesus is he does not leave us the option to say about him, well, he was just a nice guy walking around in sandals like a first century flower child, doing good things and loving on people. He does not allow us to say that about him because of his own words. Like, listen to what Jesus said. He told his disciples one day, and this wasn't the only time, he said this many times. He said the Son of Man, that being Jesus, talking about himself, is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed. But three days later, he will rise from the dead. Now, that's in the red ink in your Bible. That is a quote of Jesus who said something spectacular, incredible, amazing, stunning. Think about it. This man that we just worship, this Lord that we just worship, the most famous figure in the history of the world. There's nobody more famous than Christ. He said, you kill me and you will kill me and I will be betrayed and I will be beaten and I will be flogged and I will be crucified and I will be killed. I will be buried And I will be as dead as dead can possibly be dead. But I'm going to rise again from the dead. He was not speaking figuratively. He was not speaking metaphorically. He said, literally, I'm coming back from the dead. Either psychotic, delusional, a deceiver, worthy of commitment, or the Christ, the Messiah the prophesied son of God, everything Jesus ever did, ever said, ever claimed, or ever professed to be, rose or fell on his returning from the dead. If there was no resurrection from the dead, we are all in here deluded and deceived and mistaken. We might as well go home, forget about it, close the church doors. Paul let us know in the Bible that the resurrection from the the dead is the linchpin of the Christian faith. If there is no resurrection, there is no faith, there is no Christianity, there is no everlasting life, Jesus was a fraud, let's forget it. Paul wrote, if Christ has not been raised and all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless and we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. You read what Paul went everywhere preaching and Peter and John and James. Their message was the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Christ from the dead. 
and that one day there would be a resurrection of all people from the dead, either to judgment, to condemnation, or judgment to life. Paul goes on, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. And all who have died believing in Christ are still lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life only, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But the Bible tells us the tomb was empty. Listen, the Bible tells I sat there in that tomb. I visited Israel. I went in that tomb and sat there. Empty. And I thought, this empty tomb changed my life. Now, I, wanna, I want you to know that you, you can't walk out today going, well, you know, Jesus was a nice guy. That was a good church. So like the singing. That guy up there sweated a lot. But, you know, that, that's about all it was for, for me. But, no, no, you, you really can't leave it there. It can't be left there. Because Jesus Christ, what he said, demands an answer, demands a decision. To make no decision is to make a decision. The radically changed lives of the disciples testify that tomb was empty. The radically changed lives of millions of people through the ages, millions upon millions more, of changed lives, changed hearts, changed directions in life, changed aspirations, changed hopes, testify that he rose from the dead. But what I want to talk about today is this high price that was paid for empty, the price that had to be paid for there to be an empty tomb because there was a price paid. And everybody on earth needs to know there was a price paid for that empty tomb. Let's talk about why Jesus really came. Who was he really? What was he really about? Jesus came to the earth, was crucified, and rose from the dead because first the Bible says there was a crisis at hand. There was a 911 hanging over the human race. You see, Jesus really was different from any religious leader that's ever walked the earth. Matter of fact, he was not a religious leader. He was not the creator of a religion. He was the creator of a life and a lifestyle and a relationship. Jesus, according to the Bible, was sent from heaven on a rescue mission because there was a crisis of epic proportions. There was a 911. There was an SOS. What was it? What was it that made Jesus have to come? Here it is. He said this. Humanity was lost. 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 We were all lost. The book that says, I'm okay, you're okay, is wrong. According to the Bible, we're not okay. We were lost. Now, I'm a word person. I love words. I research words. I want to know what a word means. When I read it in the Bible, I want to know what it means. So I want to know what did Jesus mean when he said, he said, the son of man has come to seek out and to save that which was lost. He said, I've come on a rescue mission. I've come on a divine mission from heaven because the human race is lost. I've come to seek out, to search out, to look for, to find, and to save what has been lost. 
Well, what did he mean, lost? Well, you know, lost can be a lot of different things, and there can be varying degrees of lostness. For example, I might find myself in unfamiliar surroundings and become momentarily confused about where I am. It happens to me all the time when I'm driving. My, my uh, personal GPS system is right there. Kathy, because I get lost a block away from home. I, I'm very preoccupied. Put me in downtown Fort Worth and one-way streets were not made for me. So, you know, the feeling of, of being turned around and being a little bit lost. You, you can be unfamiliar with your, with your surroundings and become momentarily confused about where exactly you are. But, but guess, now, watch this, as long as you can recognize that you're lost, and can ask somebody where you are and find out directions and instructions for the way out, then with time and patience, you will find your way. So you are lost, but not hopelessly so. Son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What do you mean? Well, you might also find yourself in unfamiliar surroundings, yet have no way of finding the way out. For instance, you can be spelunking in a cave. You can go into a cave, spelunking, just crawling through a cave, walking through a cave alone and become lost. But there's nobody in there for you to ask the way out. So you are lost without being able to find your way, without being able to get directions. So you are lost and you are going to stay lost without a rescue. You're going to have to be rescued. Somebody's going to have to come find you. Lost. But do you know the Bible teaches there's another kind of lostness? Not just being lost and needing directions or being lost and can't find your way out. There's another one. This kind of lostness is the worst kind because the person lost in this way is totally unaware that they are lost. They are lost and don't know it. They are lost and don't even know. The Bible calls this spiritual lostness. Listen to the Bible, quote, if the good news we preach, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is hidden, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Now listen to the next verse. They are unable to see. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news of Christ. They can't see it. Lost in the dark, but don't know it. The Bible teaches we've got four eyes, two sets of eyes. We have physical eyes by which we see things function in life. You're looking at me, I'm looking at you. We all know what that means. But the Bible is very clear that we also have spiritual eyes. We have spiritual eyes with which we see spiritual realities. We comprehend spiritual truth. Spiritual eyes can be blind just like physical eyes. But that blindness is even worse. Because when you're physically blind, you can at least have somebody lead you along. But when you're spiritually blind, when you're spiritually lost, spiritually in the dark, that's the most profound lostness of all. Paul talked about the eyes of your heart being enlightened or flooded with light. The eyes of your spirit, the eyes of your soul. See, you and I, we're made of three parts, body, soul, spirit. It says in the creation of man, 
There was a body laying on the ground. God breathed into it the breath of life, and that man became a living soul, which means eternal. You and I are going to go on and on and on. And those spiritual eyes can be blind. This is why Jesus said to the Laodicean church, he said, you say I'm rich. I've got everything I want. I don't need a thing. But let me tell you the way I see it, says Jesus. You don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see yourself one way, but I see you completely differently because your spiritual eyes are blinded. Unless God removes the blindness, unless God removes the veil, removes what is in front of your eyes, you'll remain blind. You think you've got it all, said Jesus, but you are blind to the real facts. If your soul is lost, you're living life on empty and don't even know it. And yet you're always looking for different things to fill the emptiness. You turn to this, you turn to that. Relationships, drugs, alcohol, something, philosophy, something looking for, for what it is that you know is not there. And we need to realize we're hardwired to walk with God. So, you know, though the word lost that Jesus uses, even worse than that, I got to tell you what it means. When Jesus said, I came to seek and to save what was lost, it comes from a Greek word. And the Greek word means to die in ruin and destruction, to utterly perish by experiencing a miserable end. And what he's looking at is the eternal, the eternal perspective here said, said people who I came to save and rescue, which is everybody. The reason I was sent was to rescue those who are going to die in ruin and destruction and utterly perish by experiencing a miserable end. Just recently, I read and heard of all these different people who have died and been able to be brought back in their testimony and how similar they were, that there was another world, another life. They all saw a light. They all saw an eternity. They, they, they saw things that, that were in unison with one another, yet they had never spoken together. Somebody has compiled the testimonies from all over the world. And those that had died came back and said, I saw light, I saw eternity, I saw another place. There, there was a fourth dimension. I saw it. Even little children coming back and saying it, seeing it. So when Jesus used the word lost, he wasn't referring to somebody temporarily confused about their surroundings. He wasn't talking about somebody who had lost his way but couldn't get directions back. He was talking about a person who is lost, doesn't know they're lost, and unless rescued is racing toward ruin and destruction, a person in danger of eternal loss. This is why the Bible portrays the arrival of Jesus from heaven as a search and rescue mission. You know, we lived in East Texas for about seven years. I mean, really, Mayberry RFD. And... um. We lived on four acres of land where there was this beautiful creek that went through the property. And the deer would come down there and drink. And where there is water, there is life. And there was all kinds of life. But in springtime, when it would rain, this creek would flood and overflow its banks big time. And this one particular spring, I went down there. It had flooded real bad. And the water had begun to recede. 
And there I noticed a couple of real big puddles, kind of little mini ponds, that the water had filled a hole, and now the water had gone back and, and, and ebbed, and you had this puddle. And I saw something sparkle and shimmer in there. So I walked up and looked in, and there were about five, six perch, little baby perch. Now, me being logical, being a human being who can think and reason, I looked and I said, doomed, because there's no way out. These little perch had no way where to go. They would never get out. There was no access from them to the creek. They were doomed. And so me being, I don't know, a soft heart, easy touch, I said, no, I'm not going to let that happen. So I ran up to my house, and I got a dip net and came back down. And right about then, it occurred to me, this is what God did. God looked at our situation and said, doomed. He looked at our situation and said, born in sin, shaped in iniquity. You have broken the moral laws of God. You're going to come under judgment if there is not forgiveness. See, these fish, all that was going to happen was the sun was going to beat down on this thing. It was going to evaporate, and one day there would be nothing. Or the coons would get them at night. They were doomed. So I decided to do something about it. And when I did, that's a picture of grace. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace means unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. So I decided these fish could care less. They don't even know that I'm looking at them. They don't even know that I'm aware of them. They don't know that they're doomed. They don't know that their time is limited. They don't know the hourglass has been turned upside down. But I see it. And so what I'm going to do is get the dip net. The dip net is just like Jesus. Jesus was the means to the end of God rescuing us from the kind of ruin I just read about. So I went and put that dip net in there. And you know what they did? They did not say, hallelujah, I've been waiting for this. (laughs) They did not say, oh, it's about time you got here. I believe in you and I know that you've got good in mind for me. No, they ran from me. No, they swam from me. And they got into every little nook and cranny, hidden underneath every shadow, tried to escape me every way they could. But I decided to keep on pursuing, which is mercy. So I pursued and I chased and I sought Finally, one of them got so tired, he just gave up. And I, and, I, and I could almost hear him thinking in fish think. Well, I might as well give up. I'm doomed. He's going to kill me now. And what I did, I scooped him up in that net, took about 10 steps and dropped him into the rushing river, into the rushing creek. And he was given a life he could never have dreamed of. You see, he should have trusted me. And there are people who don't come to the Lord Jesus Christ because they're afraid he's going to make them one of us. I don't picture myself going to church, carrying a Bible, being one of those, the Lord Jesus, he'll ruin my party, ruin my life, ruin the fun. He's going to turn me into something I don't want to be, but no, he came to rescue that which was lost to put it where it should have been. He will only put you in a river of life. He will not destroy you. He will not marginalize you. (laughs) 
I think I got them all out. And they were saved. They were rescued. It's perfect. God, by his grace and compassion, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, the dipnet, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what he did. But there's more to the high price of empty than that. Listen carefully. This is big. A price had to be paid for the rescue. It didn't come cheap. The rescue from sin didn't come cheap. Listen carefully to these next 11 words. It says in 1 Peter 1, verse 18, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you. Wow, wait a minute. Back up. Help me here. What do you mean? God paid something to ransom me. What does ransom mean? Ransom is when you put down money to deliver somebody from captivity, from having been kidnapped, from having been in prison, being held against their will. When you pay a ransom, it's money paid to set somebody free from something they don't want to be in. The Bible says God paid a ransom. God Almighty, the creator of the worlds, paid a ransom. A ransom. That means we had been, in essence, kidnapped, held against our will, imprisoned, bound, enslaved. And then you go, well, what was I enslaved to? What was I bound to? What is this talking about? It's very simple. The Bible says that we were all held captive by sin. We were slaves to sin. And the price for sin is death, certain death. No doubt about it. Remember, you got a body, you got a soul, you got a spirit. The Bible says the soul that sins, it'll die. And everybody has sinned. And so everybody has died within. See, see, just because you're walking around changing tires, going to work, functioning, having children, raising a family, living life, doesn't mean that you're alive on the inside. The Bible says you can be a walking dead person. That is, your spirit, your soul until God touches it, is dead. It's dead. Unplugged, disconnected from the life of God. Speaking to Christians, Paul says, and you he made alive, who were, you used to be, dead in trespasses and sins. God created a moral universe because God's a moral God. He's a holy God. And he created a moral universe. And when we break his moral law, we sin. And when we sin, we are cut off. We are disconnected. We are removed from the life and the presence of God. And our soul dies. And unless God does something about it, it'll remain dead. So a price had to be paid. Well, what price was paid? What, what was the, what was the ransom? What did God use to ransom us, to deliver us from the slave block of sin? How did God do it? He didn't use dollars. He didn't use yen. He didn't use Deutschmarks. He didn't use Swiss francs. There was no earthly currency that God could use. There was no price to be paid on earth. What was it that would pass at the judgment bar of God to redeem us? The Bible says, 
and the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. It was the blood of Christ. It was the blood of Christ. People say, I don't like that, Christian. So that's a bloody religion. Yes, it is bloody. But listen, without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the due punishment for sins. There is no remission of sin. There's no remission of guilt apart from the shedding of blood. What blood? It can only be one blood, the blood of the unstained, spotless, sinless Lamb of God, who was Jesus Christ. I read this week, a well-known psychiatrist said, most of the mental illness we deal with is rooted in guilt. It's rooted in guilt. We deal with guilt in many different ways. You can drink it away, smoke it away, deny it away. But there's only one way to wash it away. One way to get rid of it for good. God says, I'll remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. But it can only happen by the shedding of the blood of the Lamb of God. Jesus' blood was the currency. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom, a ransom, a ransom. When he died on this cross, got this cross up here. I wish those over here could see it better, but he died on this cross. He died on a cross. When he did, God's judgment fell on him for what we did. When he did, God's wrath fell on him for what we did. When he did, he took his sins on him, our sins on himself. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The judgment fell right here. The wrath fell right here. That's why he looked up and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, he experienced separation from the presence of the heavenly father for the first time in eternity past and eternity future. Were you there when they crucified the Lord? Were you there? You were there. Jeff was there. Jim was there. Bob was there. We were all there. He took on himself our sin. We were there when they crucified our Lord. Muhammad didn't do that for you. Buddha didn't do that for you. Confucius didn't do that for you. And isn't it funny because it says God chose by the foolishness of the preaching of the cross to save those who believe. He said, there's people who are going to think this is foolish. Just talk about something like this cross. Oh, come on. My answer is in some tree. My answer is in some, some piece of wood. That right there is a bridge of two planks. It's a bridge of two planks. You ever seen a bridge of just two planks? One going up, reaching to God, and God reaching down. One going across, God reaching out to all mankind. And that cross provides a bridge from lost to found, from blind to see, from death to life. Right there, a bridge of two planks. And who would have ever thought that Jesus hanging there 2,100 years ago almost? That you and I were crucified there. 
that the Lord took our sins. We were there with him. We're the reason he was there. And once you go here and you say, I accept what happened here, the blood running down this cross, that blood, can I tell you what the Bible says about it? Listen to what the Bible says about that blood. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Romans 3, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood, verse 25. When are we made right with God? When does this become a bridge from here to there? When we believe that he shed his blood for our sins. And you put your faith in that. And when you do, it's a bridge. God reaches down across that bridge and takes your hand. And you reach up and take his hand. And at this cross, the broken relationship between us and him is healed. Right here. And boy, I'll tell you, the life flows down this cross. Peace flows down this cross. Joy flows down this cross. Wisdom flows down this cross. Knowledge and understanding flow down this cross. You find you here in that cross. But you know, when that blood spilled, And I'm so thankful for that blood. And when Jesus came to earth for that rescue mission, it ended up in a fantastic conclusion. Think about it with me for a minute as I close. Following his crucifixion, the world went on just like usual. For three days and three nights, it was like nothing had ever happened, even though when he died, the skies became black as midnight at high noon. And you could have heard a pin drop on a shag carpet in the middle of the day outside where Jesus was crucified. It became black as night. It seemed like all of nature was bowing and weeping and mourning that their creator was dying like this. But the world went on after it was all over like nothing had happened. Darkness, it looked like darkness had triumphed as Jesus lay lifeless in his tomb. Nobody could believe it. The miracle uh, worker, the water walker, the healer of the sick, raiser of the dead, opener of the blind eyes had been beaten beyond recognition where you couldn't even tell his gender. Pilate might have wrestled with his conscience for having turned him over to be crucified. Pilate's wife had had dreams, and she had told him, don't have anything to do with this righteous man, but politically, for political gain, he did, and turned him over. The wicked high priests named Annas and Caiaphas, who had paid Judas to betray him, shook hands, gave each other a high five over the seeming success of their ghastly crime. The disciples, where were they? Well, they were huddled behind locked doors, scared to death that they'd be next. Darkness ruled, it seemed, but not far away in that tomb lay a lifeless body, dead as dead can be, wrapped in grave clothes, lying there still as night. But after 72 hours, Can you imagine the first breath, what that did to hell? 
The Son of God opened his eyes. The Son of God sat up, and his grave clothes moved right through him. He didn't have to take them off. They moved right through him. He stood up, took off the head napkin, put it down, folded it nicely. So Jesus was neat. And the stone was rolled away by a mighty angel, and the Son of God walked out in the sunshine, resurrected from the dead. We want to sing this song today. We didn't get to, but I'm going to quote it. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain. He lives forever with his saints to reign. Say it with me. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. He really did. He really did. Can we stand together? I want to urge you today to take advantage of God's grace. This is the age of grace, the hour of grace, the moment of grace. And in prayer last night, I really felt that there would be people here today who have drifted from the Lord, but you know very good and well, God's talking to you. He's dealing with you to come home to him. Get right. You're missing so much. And there will be people here today who have never gone to that cross. You've never gone here. You've looked at it. You've heard about it. But you've never gone to it. You've never gone and just said, forgive me. 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 When you do, there's the bridge. Let's pray. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with him, but I've gotten away, and I know I've drifted, but I do sense he's calling me home. I'm going to ask you today to make a step of faith. And to let me pray with you. Let us pray with you. If you've never been to that cross just for you, why not do it today? Easter Sunday, 2011. And see what you find in that cross. Let him lift that load of sin. Let him fill the emptiness with his life. With our heads bowed for a moment. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories. And I'll let you pray with me. I do want to pray today. I need that prayer. Can I see your hands today? Just put them up wherever you are. There, many of you, all over the place. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to slip out and come down here. Say, why do I have to do that? Because it's a step motivated by faith. And faith is what moves the hand of God. We come to him by faith, not by our own good works, but by faith. And he's given you all the faith you need to get right today. So as we sing, I'm going to ask you to slip out and just come and stand right here. It's no big deal. I did it many, many years ago in front of a lot of people. 
Forget about anybody in here. It doesn't have anything to do with them. This is between you and the Lord. So as we sing, I want you to come right now. Come and stand.